Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at the New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, there's no knock on the door, just the sound of the SWAT team smashing through it. And it's happening all over the country. A year-long investigation by The Times reveals a police tactic that has led to dozens of avoidable deaths, gruesome injuries, and costly legal settlements. It's Monday, March 20th. Kevin, can you tell me the story of Hank McGee? Hank McGee is a 28-year-old who lives in Burleson County, Texas. It's in central Texas. Kind of a dusty place. Kevin Sack is an investigative reporter based in Atlanta. In December of 2013, a friend of his became a confidential informant. Mm -hmm. He was a guy that went to jail for probation violation. He was a, a meth addict. One day, he calls in the sheriff's investigator who had arrested him. Gene, you, you, you said you wanted to, to eradicate the problem. And I've been thinking for the past couple of days that, that maybe I'm put in this position to help you do this. And says that he's got some information for him. I know of an illegal grow operation. And he tells him that Hank McGee is growing marijuana hydroponically. Big grow, small grow? <clears throat> it's, it's kind of small. Okay. But that ain't the point. Okay. It's illegal. Sure. Weapons are involved. AR-15s, AR-3-0. In his mobile home, in his trailer. I mean, the boy's ready for war. With who, I don't know. But I'm just giving you that information because if the boy does grab a hold to a gun, try not to shoot him. Eventually, this turns into an investigation that really consisted of little more than driving by the trailer and taking some photographs. The deputies were able to go to a local magistrate and obtain a search warrant. Then what happened? Dark one night, a force of Burleson County deputies, their, their version of a SWAT team, descends upon this trailer. They roll across a cattle guard and down a dirt road. It's pitch black. And Hank is inside sleeping with his pregnant girlfriend. The only light inside the trailer was, was from the bulbs on a Christmas tree. They had first set off a flashbang grenade, which is a stun device that emits this intense blast of sound and light that's designed to sort of incapacitate a suspect. But they had gotten some directions confused, directions given by the confidential informant. They thought that hmm. the bedroom was on the left when, in fact, it was on the right. And that's where they set the flashbang off, was just outside that window. 
as a result, it really did not incapacitate Hank. And what woke them up was the banging on the door with the battering ram that came immediately after that. Hank starts calling out, who is it, who is it, who's there? They get no answer. As the banging on the door continues, he runs into his bedroom and grabs a rifle out of a closet. Wow. Comes out of the bedroom, and just as the door bursts open, he raises the rifle and he starts firing. Only after he fires does he hear the deputies outside screaming, Sheriff's Department, search warrant. He immediately drops the gun, and as they get to the door, they walk over the prone body of a sheriff's deputy, Adam Soders, who, despite wearing a bulletproof vest, has been struck in the head Hmm. and killed. Terrible. So he died pretty much instantly. Instantly. Central Texas lawman killed in the line of duty. New details tonight. Sergeant Adam Soders with the Burleson County Sheriff's Office was shot and killed early this morning. 28-year-old Henry McGee of Somerville is in the Brenham City Jail charged with capital murder of a police officer. His attorney says the shooting was an accident, claiming he didn't know it was the deputies entering his rural home. He thought it was a burglar. Kevin, my sense of how police work is done... And in all the television shows I watched growing up of how police work is done, they announce themselves. So what are we talking about here? What are we seeing? So there's a special breed of warrant, unlike the others, unlike the ones that we've seen on TV. This warrant, it's called a no-knock warrant. Hmm. And it's, it's called that, obviously enough, I guess, because the police don't have to knock. They don't have to announce themselves before entering a house. Um, and a lot of people, I think, are surprised to, to learn that this exists. But it's I, was, I had no idea that, that such a thing existed. It's pervasive. The problem is we don't really know how pervasive because there are no federal requirements that police departments report on SWAT activities. How often have you found that these no-knock warrants are being used by SWAT teams around the United States? Thousands of times a year, Wow, clearly. And it's not uncommon that they go badly. In all the no-knock raids that you've investigated, how many people have died? We came up with a total of 94 deaths between 2010 and 2016. That's clearly a minimum. Those are the ones that we could find out about. And of that 94, 81 were civilians and 13 were police officers. Can you tell me how it is that a no-knock warrant is legal? It would seem to me that if I'm in my apartment and the cops rush Mm. through the door, that I would have some legal protection. How does that work? Well, you would think so, because going all the way back to the early 1600s, right, we've had the Castle Doctrine and English common law, which gives residents protection against invasions without announcement by the king's officers. Um, Goes that far back. Goes that far back. And and that was enshrined in the Fourth Amendment to our Constitution in, I believe, 1791. No unreasonable searches and seizures. But over the years, the Supreme Court has rolled all of that back. After a, a series of rulings over the last 20 or 30 years, the situation is now that there's explicit authority for officers to go in without knocking or announcing when there's a risk of danger or a risk of evidence destruction. So that's the right of the police to execute a warrant. But then there's this fundamental right of the citizen to self-defense in his or her home. How has that tension played out in the courts? It really comes down to what the shooter knew, what the shooter perceived at the time he was shooting. 
in cases where the the shooter can demonstrate that they really did not know who they were shooting at and that they felt that they were firing in self-defense, then I think that grand juries and juries and prosecutors have been sympathetic. So what happened to Hank McGee? Hank McGee spends a month or two in jail and a grand jury that's been impaneled in Burleson County is given his case. They hear from the officers that were involved that day. They also hear from his girlfriend, who is able to give Hank's side of the story, that they had no idea who it was barging in, and they thought they were being robbed, and he fired in order to protect himself and his girlfriend. And that grand jury chose, perhaps surprisingly, not to indict McGee for capital murder. Hmm. You know, you kill a police officer, it's capital murder, and, and the potential punishment is the death penalty. It's a very serious business. He was indicted by this grand jury for, for drug possession, and his case actually goes to trial on April 3rd. We've been talking about cases where people with criminal ties or suspected criminal ties are targeted by police. Are innocent people ever caught up in these raids? Absolutely. And I would never contend that it's the majority of the time, but... There have certainly been instances where total innocents have been caught in the crossfire. I'm Shai Calvo. I served as mayor of the town of Berwyn Heights, Maryland from 2004 to 2015. I had returned home from my day job with the goal of just walking my dogs and hurrying off to a community meeting that I was hosting that evening. When I got back from walking my dogs, there was a package on my doorstep and I brought it in, left it unopened on a living room table and went upstairs into my room to change when my mother-in-law, who lived with us at the time, yelled out um, something that didn't make any sense. I heard the word SWAT. Um, but I had walked over to the window, looked out the window to see there. It was you know, middle of summer, so broad daylight, mm-hmm. when I heard the sound of an explosion, which was the sound of a battering ram blowing in our front door. Wow. It was followed by immediate gunfire. It, it was, you know, terrifying. I hit the ground. I, you know, heard boots running, more gunfire. After initially hearing boots run down into my basement, I heard people saying "upstairs, upstairs," and which, which is where I was. And I yelled out, "Please, I'm up here. Don't shoot!" They told me to come to the landing where they could see me. Um, I was in my boxer shorts, barefoot, because wow. um, I was midway through getting dressed. Uh, when I was told to put my hands above my head and walk down the stairs backwards. And I could see, you know, two rifles kind of pointed at me. So when I got to the bottom of the steps, men grabbed me. They, they held my hands behind my back. They put on those plastic cuffs. My mother-in-law was in the kitchen um, face down with a gun pointed at her head. Wow. Uh, she was cooking dinner. It was a you know, tomato and pasta dish. So she was right in front of the stove where she had been thrown to the ground and was being held at gunpoint. Uh, uh, Peyton, which is our, was our seven-year-old black Labrador, a big dog, um, he was near the threshold to the kitchen, mm-hmm. um, laying still in a pool, an enormous pool of blood. Here's what actually happened. Mayor Shai Calvo and his family had been the random target of a drug smuggling ring. 32 pounds of marijuana had showed up on his doorstep, and the police believed, wrongly it turned out, that the Calvos were the intended recipients. After the raid, Calvo sued the county and eventually won an undisclosed financial settlement. 
The entire thing was an absolute ridiculous exercise and harm to me and my family. SWAT teams are frequently used for things very different than what they were designed for, and they're really kind of the first effort. They're not like a last resort. They're, they're, they're routine. And so we've allowed something that was designed for the very rare situation and turned it into something that is routine. And it's corrosive. And it's done damage to the police department, the way they think, the militarization of the mindset. And that has real consequences for the community that they're supposed to serve. The most horrifying case that I came across during my reporting mm -hmm. um, back in uh, 2014. Door was broken down, and um, one of the officers tosses an armed flashbang grenade, and it lands in a portable playpen. You don't think that baby got hurt, do you? I don't know. You said code three. Yeah. Whoa. And what happened? So the playpen was occupied by a 19-month-old baby um, named Bunkam Fonsavan, Baby Boo Boo, as he came to be known. And it explodes essentially in his face. My son starts screaming, and I, I just go for him, and the other officer grabs him first, and I never even got to see his face. Deep lacerations across its face, its chest. Its face was basically spackled with shrapnel. He has since had 15 surgeries, according to his family. Boo Boo's parents won $3.6 million. This tactic that we're talking about, it sounds so dangerous, so maybe even unnecessarily dangerous. Why is this tactic still being used? What do the police say is the reason why there's value to it? Because it gives them the advantage. They go in before the suspect knows what's going on. They've just got that advantage of a few seconds of having the gun on the bad guys rather than the bad guys having the gun on them. Kevin, how often does a no-knock raid go perfectly fine? Most of the time, one would assume. I mean, again, because we don't have real statistics, it's impossible to say for sure. But there's no question that it often goes just as planned. And there are stories in local papers every day about successful no-knock raids that have wound up producing a certain amount of heroin or a certain amount of meth. The issue is not whether they, they always go right or wrong. Mm -hmm. The issue is whether they go wrong badly enough and frequently enough that it makes the risk far greater than the reward. We'll be right back. Do you ever question what you eat, where it's from, if it's safe? Here at Consumer Reports, these things keep us up at night. Then we get to work. Our team exposes toxins in food and even water, then demands change from all brands. It's only fair that you know what's on your plate, because food should fuel us, not make us sick. And if we are what we eat, it better be good. Learn more at consumerreports.org slash myfood. Here's what else you need to know today. I'm like a lot of my friends right now. I have a hard time watching the news, I'll confess. 
after mostly staying out of the public eye since the election. So I was thinking like, okay, what do we do? You know, walk in the woods. (laughs) No, you can only do so much of that. Hillary Clinton said this. I am ready to, uh, you know, come out of the woods. At a St. Patrick's Day speech in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And to help shine a light on what is already happening around kitchen tables to help draw strength that will enable everybody to keep going. And President Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court, Judge Neil Gorsuch, will deliver an opening statement today at his Senate confirmation hearing. Judge Gorsuch may act like a neutral, calm judge. Democrats, led by Senator Chuck Schumer, are vowing an intense examination of Gorsuch's record. His record and his career clearly show he harbors a right-wing, pro-corporate, special interest agenda. Republicans who control the Senate say they are committed to confirming Gorsuch. Finally, the world has lost Chuck Berry, the 90-year-old singer, songwriter, and guitarist. I called my colleague John Perellis, the chief music critic at the Times, who's in Austin for the South by Southwest Music Festival. What we lost was one of the original architects of rock and roll. When we think of rock and roll now, we think of everything Chuck Berry decided to put into it. The cars, the girls, the guitars, the fun, the satire, the rebelliousness. That was all around in various forms of music, but it took Chuck Berry and maybe a few other people like Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis to put it all together. Take a song like Brown-Eyed Handsome Man, which was, as you know, originally Brown-Skinned Handsome Man, Hmm. which is in its own carefully coded 1950s way about the allure of what might be thought of as a brown-skinned handsome man. It's proud, it's sneaky, it's full of fun. That's Chuck Berry. Way back in history, 3,000 years, in fact, ever since the world began, there's been a whole lot of good women shedding tears over a brown-eyed handsome man. It's a lot of trouble with a brown-eyed handsome man. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. When times became uncertain, Wampley pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Wampley has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Wampley helps small businesses thrive. Visit Wampley.com to learn more.